Greetings, magnificent souls, to the Attract Health, Build Wealth podcast, where we have open and honest discussions about ourselves. This is a place where we break down, break away, and break through codependency, allowing ourselves to attract health, build wealth, and live a peaceful life. We are tired of being sick and tired. We are tired, but we are not giving up. We know that there is something magnificent inside of us. Because we are fighting daily, hourly, and by the minute, fighting ourselves, our kids, our spouses, we have to do things differently. We have to break the cycle. We don't have a million chances. We have to be happy now. We have to find a way. So how do we do that? How is that possible? If you look around at what society is telling you, they tell you that what we're doing is impossible. Yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through the practice and love that we call awakening the magnificent soul. We are all magnificent souls. And these are our stories of healing. Today in episode nine, I wanted to talk to you a a little bit about suicide. Obviously, there's a lot of talk and chatter right now. It's increased due to the sad news about Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. But as you know, this is a topic that has touched me personally. And if I had to guess, this is something that you've experienced directly or indirectly yourself. But before we get into the discussion, don't forget to let me know your thoughts about this episode, any feedback you have, or anything you'd like me to cover on future podcasts at epiphanyvault.com. Remember, you can share anonymously. It's a safe place, and I would welcome any discussion. And the topic of suicide has been making its way through media lately because of the impact it has had on celebrity. But suicide has touched me deeply as it has many of my friends and acquaintances. This is still such a raw topic for me, but I think and I believe talking about it is important. No one should feel shame or fear to express the thoughts or feelings that they're having ever. It's such a vicious cycle that if one tries to deal with this on their own or tries to combat this singularly, it's really, really hard to do. Point blank and full disclosure, suicide is the exact reason why I started this podcast. This is my outlet for discussion, and I'm grateful that I get to share my journey. And I now know how my codependency and dysfunctional mental state led me to think suicidal thoughts. I know now how easy it is to get wrapped up in blame and hate towards no one other than yourself. What I didn't know, though, is quite how to form my own thoughts and feelings around it. So I wanted to read you an article that I found on the website Medium that almost perfectly describes the why um, when it comes to suicide, at least from my view. And I like this article because it is much more than the number to the suicide hotline or talking about mental illness, which is still very important, but it gives you a little bit of in-depth view of why people think suicidal thoughts and maybe why they actually do the act itself. Um, So the article is called Why People Kill Themselves. It's not depression. The author is Mark Goulston, and I will link the article in the show notes as well. 
And here's the article. With regard to Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade, we have two more reasons to collectively feel the pain and bewilderment from one more high profile suicide, as well as our collective search to answer why. We seek to answer that question because inside, many of us have felt there but for the grace of God, especially at 3 a.m., go I. Getting an answer to that why offers us a veneer, temporary though it may be, of control, which is especially useful when many of us can rapidly plummet into feeling out of control. Was it financial problems, marital problems, health problems? legal problems, depression, bipolar dis depression, alcoholism. After having spent, this is the author speaking, after having spent a 25 plus year career as a boots on the ground suicide specializing psychiatrist, mentored by one of the pioneers in the field, Dr. Edwin Schneidman, I have to conclude that none of these factors causes suicide. True, they all contribute to it, but there are many, many people with each or even several of the above conditions that don't die by suicide. There is, however, one thing that nearly all people who die by suicide feel at the moment they pull that trigger, tie the knot around their neck, jump from the building, swallow those pills, step in front of the train. That one thing is despair. Yes, despair, not despair. In the post notes, the author notes, the difference between despair and depression is that when one is depressed, it is often difficult to engage them in an expressive conversation. There is an inherent inertia in the word depressed that can further add to their sense of futility. On the other hand, when you engage someone in any of the eight lesses that we'll cover in a few moments, it can lead to a more dynamic, engaging, and expressive conversation. When that occurs and the despairing person begins to express and describe why any of these words or what any of these words mean to them, they will begin to experience those feelings Verse experiencing nothing and feel relief as they pair with the empathetic person who is listening to them. Des pair as in feeling unpaired with and without the reasons to live. Number one, hopeless. Unpaired with a future that is worth living because all efforts to lessen pain, medications, therapy, etc. have not worked. Number two, helpless, unpaired with the ability to pull themselves out of it. Number three, powerless, more of number two, so more of helpless. Number four, useless, unpaired with any solution or treatment that works or alternatively feeling that you contribute nothing to anyone and are only a burden, even if those people protest the opposite. Number five, worthless. 
Ah, yes, unpaired with one of the key reasons for men to exist. Number six, purposeless. Unpaired with the mission for you to focus on, and that gives you a source of pride, without which one can feel aimless and ashamed, as in, my life has no purpose. Meaningless. Unpaired with what Viktor Frankl was able to discover in a concentration camp, and one can and what one can feel when they have no purpose. Pointless. Unpaired with any reason to not pull the trigger, put the noose around your neck, jump from the building, take the pills, step into the train tracks. These eight lesses can collectively result in the pain that can no longer be endured, that when collectively felt can cause people to pair with death as a way to make it go away by their going away. Might many of these suicides be prevented if these anguished individuals felt less alone in their dark night of the soul? The author says, I can't guarantee it, but I think the reason and approach I used in meeting with highly suicide and suicidal individuals, many of whom were multiple attempters, was effective was that instead of giving them treatments and procedures that would often be a way to deal with my own anxiety, I learned to listen into their eyes for their hurt, their fear, anger, pain, guilt, and shame. When I did that, one or more were always present and always screaming to be heard and even more to be felt so they didn't have to feel so alone in their version of hell. When they felt felt and less alone, suffering they couldn't deal with became pain that they could. And nearly every time when that suffering stopped, they began to cry and sob feel relief, and with that could step back from the impulse to annihilate themselves. Deep psychic wounds in suicidal individuals are similar to physical wounds in that someone attempting to intervene needs to go to the core of that wound, clean it out by helping that person feel less alone, and then leaving in an emphatic drain by remaining emotionally connected to them. From there, they will granulate in from that wound, in their core, and from their inside out with hope. When I did that with vets with severe PTSD who were feeling suicidal, one of them told me that it caused him to feel like the person inside the patient. When I asked him what he meant, he replied, We're not treated like people. Instead, we're patients carved up into billable procedures that don't even talk to each other. And when the whole treatment plus waiting months for an appointment with a psychiatrist who keeps checking his text messages during an appointment causes us frustration, that psychiatrist will smile and say, let's throw in anger management just to be safe. We all know how highly effective empathy can be in lessening anger and when used early in preventing violence in other people. We also talk about how it might have prevented some mass or school shootings had it been applied to the bullied, 
unbalanced, mentally disturbed individuals who committed such an atrocity. As long as treatments and procedures don't penetrate the shame, feeling burdensome, utter aloneness, and despair at the core of the suffering inside people at the moment they decide to take their lives, we are just putting lipstick on pain. You earn the right to a patient trying your expert procedure. Why should they trust you when they feel let down by the world? By emotionally connecting with them and spending time with them in their dark night of the soul. So that was the article. Again, I will link that in the show notes. But to me, this is so powerful. And I'm in complete agreement with the author here. We may not completely understand, maybe not even understand ourselves, but we can have empathy for the hurt, pain, shame, and fear of someone suffering. Let's not be afraid to open up the lines of communication if you are worried about someone that you love or if you have thoughts about suicide yourself. People like me are here to talk. I've opened up the epiphanyvault.com just for that reason. To talk and to listen and to be heard. Thank you for listening, Magnificent Souls. I will see you next time. Living and loving.